Hey everyone, Celine here. I'm dropping in with a content note for this episode on gender troublemaking. In the conversation to follow, we mentioned colonialism, genocide, and violence against trans women. These are not discussed in any graphic way. They are heavy topics, and if you're not in a place where you can engage them, feel free to pause or skip this episode. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. Also, we approached this episode with the ground level introductory mentality as a way to enter into talking about gender. We are experts in our own lives, but we're certainly not gender experts. We welcome your feedback to our conversation as we learn together. On with the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to Resetting the Table, expanding imagination around race, place, and faith for our collective liberation. I'm Trixie Ling. I'm Celine Chuang. And I'm Maria Mulder. We host this podcast from traditional, ancestral, unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territory, otherwise known as Vancouver, Canada. Acknowledging the land is one way we want to commit to decolonization and begin each episode in a good way, expressing solidarity with the Indigenous struggle for rights, reparations, and sovereignty. Today we're talking about gender and how to trouble it. What is gender and the gender binary? How does the gender binary show up in our day-to-day lives, culture, churches, and society? And how does it hurt all of us, regardless of our gender identity? In this introductory conversation, we'll talk through some basic concepts and personal experience. We'll also explore how we can approach gender and treat our trans, non-binary, and gender diverse siblings with more expansiveness, kindness, and respect. Let's get into it. Gender! Gender! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe a good place to start for this episode. is talk about our own genders. So we could talk about um, how we identify and what our relationship with our gender is. Anyone wanna go first? Trick me. I was gonna say, I would love to hear you go first. <laughs> I mean, you wanna hear me go first? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, sure. Okay. I feel weirdly unprepared to answer this question. Um, I think, (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, I would say I have two answers. So I would identify as a cis woman. So cis meaning the gender I have is the same as the one that was given to me when I was born. And as a femme, as cis femme, um, femme meaning someone who's like feminine, generally feminine presenting. I think I have more affinity with the word femme because I don't always love the word woman. And I don't love how it's used a lot of the time. So I have a bit of, honestly, I have a bit of like tension and ambiguity and uh, I don't know what other word to use to describe it. I have tension and ambiguity and like dissonance with with identifying as a woman. Um, I really don't like gendered. I don't like being referred to in a gendered way, um, such as like, especially when that groups me together. So like ladies night, like stuff like that. (laughs) I really, I get like a reaction to that. So yeah, that's just an example of like some of the the tension or the um, yeah, nuance. kind of the ongoing tension that I have. Sorry, nuance. Yeah, sure. it's just it's not important. like a, for me. It's not a comfort. It's not always a comfortable. The word woman or female or 
those two words are not always comfortable for me in terms of like gender identity. I'm more comfortable with like the word femme, but I also would use woman and I would identify as a woman still and I use she, her pronouns. So yeah, so that's a very long answer. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be go first for <laughs> if you still wanted that. But yeah, Trixie, Maria. Um, yeah, well, thank you, Celine. I know it, what seems, I think, interesting enough, what seems as an easy question probably back in the days for me, um, now it's much more, I think, complex in terms of like, there's so many different feelings as you just also express yourself and tension. And also for me on my learning journey of, yeah, how do I also properly answer this question in a way that is also fully identifying um, and I've learned over time. So as, a, as you mentioned, I also identify as a cisgender woman. I don't feel as much tension around that word as you do. Um, but it's good to like, I think for me to hear different perspective because it made me, it made me think, I'm like, Oh, how does, how does this word sound to other people that for me come so easily naturally in, in, in terms of spaces I hear so often. And so. Thank you for just like naming that and just for us to really think about, which is what this whole conversation is really thinking about gender and different perspective and how we identify. And so I feel comfortable in terms of using women and female, um, but also recognizing there is just, um, yeah, all that, this, this question, even like, how do you identify and what gender it's, it's, it can be quite complex and sometimes painful um, as people continue to friends and um, people I know continue to explore and think deeply about this question. So it's not as simple as it as it kind of comes off. Um, that's kind of some of my learning journey um, and how we see people and how we feel. Um, so yeah, thank you for asking this question. Maria. Wow, both of you had very complex answers. <laughs> <laughs> I think my answer is probably simpler but mostly because I've thought it about about it a lot recently so I do not identify as a woman I identify as a non-binary person I use they them pronouns and this is like not a new revelation you guys have known for a while but um, I just recently kind of publicly across all the things came out so so this is part of the coming out in a way yeah yeah and it's it's nice to be able to say it. Yay! <laughs> also, I should I should make a note that it might seem that we like set up this episode just so that Maria could <laughs> can make that statement, but it wasn't actually like why we did that. Uh, we've been wanting to talk about gender for a while, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, yay! Mm-hmm. Yay, yay, Maria! <laughs> um, yeah, and another maybe reason or part of the context of talking about gender was for our long. I say long-time listeners, and I really mean people who have listened since <laughs> the beginning, which is like not even that long ago. A year <laughs> ago, like, almost. Yeah, actually. it feels a lot longer. But for our long-time listeners, or people who have just listened to like every episode, there's one episode where at the beginning, we had a note, kind of an aside, or not an aside, it wasn't part of the main conversation of the episode, but Maria talked about a le- some language that they used in a previous episode that wasn't the most respectful way to phrase things around gender. Um, and we wanted to acknowledge that for our trans and non-binary listeners and just in general. But after we had a listener point out to us that the language was used in kind of, the la- that kind of language is used in harmful ways and in kind of trans-exclusive ways. And 
yeah, what kind of Maria had said was something around conflating um, biology. So like, I think Maria, you can, I'm sorry that we, I don't have the exact phrase in front of me. Something like female bodied or something like. A, yeah, I think I was, I was using like traditional biological language to talk about my experience. As a, I, I put in quotes, as a quote woman. As like right? presenting woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, we'll talk a bit more about that in a little while, but um, just in terms of the context for that statement, I think we did have some listeners just respond like with kind of curiosity, like they didn't mm-hmm. really understand what we were doing, but they wanted to know more or they didn't maybe understand what we were saying or what we meant. So I'm like, oh, well, yeah. later on, we should actually talk more about gender because it obviously is not a simple or short mm-hmm. uh, topic. And there's so much more that I think we could have a conversation about. So that's what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we start with some crash course stuff like gender yeah. 101? Let's do it. <laughs> yes. If you are familiar with all the stuff, like, I hope that it won't be. You can listen to it as a, you know, a way to kind of get on the same page as us or, you know, feel free to skip this section or fast forward, whatever you want to do. We're thinking, especially, I think, for this conversation of people who are kind of maybe earlier on the learning journey or people who, like those listeners, are curious and want to learn more and kind of maybe this that statement that we talk about in that um, previous episode might have been like the first entry point for them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the context for what we'll talk about. So um, <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> so one of the things, the thing that came up with Maria's original statement was conflating biological sex with gender. So these are actually two separate things. Biological sex is, has to do with like your body parts and when you're born. So there's like, biological male sex biological female sex is biologically intersex and I think like intersex also encompasses many things like it's not like this looks like one thing actually all of them don't look like one thing (laughs) I think think even in like the scientific community there is movement towards um like biological sex not even being as straightforward as like male female and intersex for sure so it's not a lot more definitely not a binary Mm-hmm. definitely not binary it's not it's not just male female and it's not just three either it's not just male female intersex and those three things are all diverse like things in themselves so there's that and then there's gender <laughs> <laughs> which is not biological right so gender is how do you explain gender I didn't even think it's, about like a basic a, definition I would say it's a construct yes, so it's like a social every... construct Every society has different ways of expressing and expecting different genders and gender roles to be performed. And that affects the way that we individually understand and feel and identify our genders. Yeah. So it's, I think, um, I don't know if this might be helpful for some people if you've done some anti-racism reading, like race is a construct as well, right? It's, Mm -hmm. but it's, A construct doesn't mean that it doesn't, that it's not real. I use quotes around the word real. Like people have lived experience of these things because it affects power and it affects privilege and how you move around in the world. So their experience is real, of course, but they're constructed. So they're like, things like gender and race are created or produced over time by people who have power. In this case, white men, (laughs) white straight men. But we experience those things as real, like in our day-to-day lives. So I just want to make mm-hmm. that really clear. 
Yeah. And even gender itself isn't like one thing, right? Like in terms of what we're defining. So we're talking just, we're saying gender a lot, but there's like how you identify, Mm -hmm. um, which we talked about at the beginning, but there's also like how you express your gender or perform your gender, as you said, Maria, um, which can look many different ways. So some people could like express very, express themselves in terms of like how they look, how they dress, how they talk, like more masculinely or more femininely um, on a, on a spectrum of gender expression. And there's like so many other things, like I'm sure I'm missing a very, like there are so many ways that you can kind of break down different parts of what gender is. But I think we've like pretty much for the crash course kind of version, <laughs> like we've distinguished that gender and biological sex are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then from that, we can move on to kind of defining like, what does cisgender mean? What does transgender mean? What does non-binary mean? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So cisgender, like obviously Celine and Trixie, you guys both used that word when you were talking about your own gender identities. And that simply means that that the gender that you identify as matches the gender that you are assigned at birth. And like, generally speaking, people are assigned the gender that that is associated with specific body parts, right? That's kind of how, how we do it. Um, and then a transgender person is someone who, whose gender identity does not match with the gender that they were assigned at birth. And so that could mean that they are non-binary, or it could mean that they are a trans man or a trans woman. Um, but it's or trans like non-binary, this, which is also a thing. Yeah, it's like this big umbrella term that basically just means that your gender identity doesn't match what you, yeah. what you were assigned. Can I just oh, go back for a second? Because you were talking about how often gender matches what you're assigned so that's a decision right like that's Mm -hmm. the doctor being like yeah you can only be a boy or girl so I'm gonna choose this like that's assigned by a a person a human person yes and it's it's something that happens to you it is not something that's right you don't have power over you don't have agency over it yeah at that point in your life absolutely (laughs) because you can't actually talk or make decisions yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it's like the point is that it's built into our our systems and our society, mm-hmm. this kind of norm yeah. of gender as a binary and there only being two choices and that it's correspond like that it goes together and you can't yeah. separate it from from um, biological sex. Just wanted to mention that as, as something um, to mm-hmm. consider. What were you going to say? Yeah. Well, no, I just, I think the one thing that kind of like, I that pops up in my mind as you're talking about like who assigning and, and how we, you know, acknowledge or celebrate gender right when we're born is, um, oh God, it kind of no. makes me cringe. No, don't so say bad. It. It's so bad. <laughs> no, I have to say it because I don't know, like in the past, people really think that critically about gender reveal parties. No. And I think, I think I have to say it because it makes me cringe. I think this is part of our learning journey. Like, why does it make us cringe? Right. So I think all the things that you both of you have said, like how it's not chosen by when you're born, it's chosen by someone else and um, whether it's a doctor or your parents right like that's really important to recognize how even at the very beginning it can be quite oppressive and because of the system and the construct that um that we're part of so it's yeah it's very there's a lot of problems <laughs> with, with gender reveal parties and don't uh, do it don't do yeah it. and the colors don't <laughs> even get me started on the colors the pink and blue and um but yeah just it's it's but it's important actually to have this conversation because it is actually out there and people are doing it and i think to have whole space for these kind of conversation it's actually yeah. really important so mm-hmm. anyway just want to put that out there yeah and that's a great 
Trixie, that's a great example of the gender binary showing up in like society and in people's expectations or what's considered gender norms. So binary being like there are only two options. But I mean, kind of paradoxically or ironically, maybe both. It kind of, even though it's reinforcing a gender, a gender binary of like only men, only women, only boys, only girls, and things that are associated with those genders, it actually shows us more that gender is a construct and changes over time. Because Mm -hmm. if you think about it and you look this up, like pink used to be considered masculine color and was associated with men. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like one, only one small example of how gender is not inherent. It's not an inherent thing. It is a a construct, a social construct that changes over time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I heard this, but I heard someone say, basically, you can tell that something is a construct if it has to be policed really heavily by society. So like anything that is really rigidly controlled and shaped by like the general masses, like you can bet, you can put good money on that being a construct. Yeah, gender is just one of the kind of categories or constructs or containers that is used to mm-hmm. marginalize some people and normalize other people, right? Mm-hmm. So there's gender, there's race, there's yep. like all these other kind of um, categories that mm-hmm. are employed for the service of power, like for those who have power and want to maintain it and to have that power over others. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it is, again, like for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I one another thing that comes to mind for me for where does the gender binary show up like toy stores not all toy stores oh. there's a wonderful <laughs> toy store that is in our neighborhood that does yes. not do this which is the reason that I love it we I should name I, it let's yeah I'm just gonna say let's talk about it <laughs> dilly dally yeah dilly I, dally. Love, I love that I love dilly dally. like if you go into any like big box like a Toys R Us or I don't even know what other toy stores exist. (laughs) (laughs) But like you can literally walk through the store and you can tell the the aisles that are targeted for boys or girls because Mm -hmm. the boy aisles are like blue and filled with like cars and trucks and soldiers. And it's just like, oh, and then. The girls' aisles are like Princesses pink and white and, and dolls like dolls and, and housemaking. And it's just, it is so, oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. So if you've never noticed this, like go to one of these stores and actually yeah. look at it. <laughs> yeah. Or even you don't even have to go to a toy store. Like if you go to any store that sells children's stuff, mm-hmm. I like, I will put money on the fact that there will be a girl version and a boy version of like a coloring book that comes from the same franchise or like crayon sets, art sets, like it, it's all gendered and coded mm-hmm. and quite ridiculous. And this is for adult products too. And like, mm-hmm. we're getting into how obviously gen- the gender binary is also part of capitalism because it makes more money. But, you know, have you seen those things where it's like unnecessarily, I think their whole blog's dedicated to this, like unnecessarily gendered products. So it's like a razor for men, a razor for women, literally yeah. the same razor. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Here are some pink razors and here are some blue razors. There's more. (laughs) So like this is also an adult in kind of adult products and the way things are marketed to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Perfume or cologne ads are like very Mm -hmm. uh, gender normy. So it's really embedded, right? Like that's what we're saying. It's like everywhere. And it's because it's so encompassing and everywhere that we don't even question it. Right. Like it doesn't even like strike us, at least for the majority maybe who don't even pay attention because it's just everywhere from from when you're kids all the way to your adults 
right? Mm-hmm. It's like this entire mm-hmm. timeline um, that we're taught and, and like you said, connected to capitalism, um, which I know we'll get into also white supremacy and colonialism, but it's all tied together, right? So mm-hmm. this is why it's important to actually question and take up space and to ask these difficult questions, how it shows up in our culture. And how to fuck with it, because, like, asking questions is one of the ways, right? Like, mm-hmm. why why is it this way? And how can we push back against that? Yeah. Uh, and we mm-hmm. should, uh, I should mention, too, that, like, troubling gender, or, like, gender trouble is, it comes from a book by Judith Butler, who is probably the most well-known, like, feminist scholar who's written about gender as a performance. And I feel like every queer has, like, a crush on Judith Butler, because <laughs> <laughs> Judith Butler is just, like, important in terms of um, talking about gender and drag and performance and like the book is I just looked this up before we recorded the book gender trouble it's older than me like it was written <laughs> yeah it was written before I was born I can't remember the exact year <laughs> Judith doing Judith thing uh, for a long time but yeah the idea again like that gender is always a choice even if we don't um it's not a what's the word conscious it's not always a conscious choice but we're always yeah. performing gender yeah absolutely before we go on, are there any other like rudimentary terms that we want to go over? Oh, um, I feel like like could we explore non-binariness a little bit more? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. What does that I, mean to you? <laughs> what does being non-binary? It so there are lots of it's interesting because like non-binary as a term is an umbrella term, but it is also an identity. Mm-hmm. And it's also like an adjective. It's it's a lot of different things. But it basically just means that you don't identify, you you identify across or outside of the gender binary. So if we think about the gender binary as being simply like men and women, male or female, girl, boy, being non-binary just means that you don't fully identify as one of those things. So you can be a mixture, you can be somewhere on a spectrum between man and woman, or you can be like a gender completely outside of outside of the binary. Yeah, it's totally it's similar to transgender. It's an umbrella term that means a lot of things. And so I think it, it's good to remember that like when someone comes out as non-binary, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know what they mean mm-hmm. um, just because they use that term, because lots of people use the term and it means different things to different people. Mm. Yeah, It's not a monolith mm-hmm. and people kind of. There's just yeah, a spectrum of experiences, even within yeah. the word. Like yeah. non-binary people could use like multiple pronouns, mm-hmm. um, not just they, them pronouns. Yeah, it's not one thing. And I mean, I guess we could talk about people's gender identities obviously can change too, right? Like mm-hmm. some people's change more frequently than others. Like some people kind of choose like one day will identify differently than like another day. Um, and other people will be like, oh no, this is this feels right and I'm gonna stick with it. Mm-hmm. So that's another piece of gender (laughs) troubling Mm -hmm. gender any other things that maybe we should talk a little bit more about terms maria you just kind of um mentioned it because i think as i'm learning um on my journey um and learning from you and others and reading on my own i think something for sure is around like pronouns that i do think it's really important and i think it's really great actually at least I, i would say for me right now it seems more a knowledge that this is something that is like whether I'm in the meeting or at events that this is something that's actually recognized that people do just actually ask and not just assume right which is what we we do all of that with gender too 
So that's something I'm learning a lot. So I, I, I was wondering if you want to share a little bit more about, especially those who are new to like using pronoun and the significance of them, because this is something I do think is really important as we're really mindful of language and identity and, and, and the feelings also associated when we use these words, right? So mm-hmm. I'd love to kind of hear, yeah, maybe even a little bit more of your thoughts around pronouns and how, and how we use them. Yeah, I think so years ago, not even that long ago, just a few years ago, I was really, really bad at using gender neutral, pro- like gender neutral language in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like I did a lot of assuming when out in the world, you see someone and they present generally masculine or generally feminine, and then you you assign gender and gendered language based mm-hmm. on how they look. And through my own journey, that has up, that's like obviously shifted as I've kind of learned about myself. But I think a really, really good way that people can like actively work on allyship for trans and non-binary people is just like get into the habit of using gender neutral language all the time, unless you know someone's pronouns um, Mm, and preferences mm -hmm. explicitly. So like when you're out in the world, just use they, them pronouns for everyone. Use the word person instead of man or woman for everyone, unless you like know them personally and you like know what their pronouns are. And it's like, a learning curve I think it's easier for some people and more difficult for other people but once you get into the habit of that mm-hmm. um it really like it removes you from from the script that we're told in our society of everything needing to be gendered because you're like rewriting the way that you think about the world I don't know Celine mm-hmm. do you have anything to yeah. add I think just on the pronouns question like it's kind of to me like it's a, a practice like you said of like unlearning and relearning how we think about gender Mm -hmm. and actually taking the time to think about it and kind of consider the assumptions. But also it's a practice where people, like, I mean, the practice people kind of being transparent and sharing pronouns like at events or gatherings or whatever, that makes a space or an event more inclusive and welcoming to everyone. Mm -hmm. So like some people might be like, why are we doing this? It's so inconvenient or whatever. Like you take an extra second to say your pronouns, it's not really inconvenient, but the thing is that by doing that, you make it a much more welcoming place for people whose pronouns might like you say them pronouns and other people might assume that they don't use those pronouns. Um, and it's, I think, similar to like anything where there's a marginalized identity that is then centered in any kind of experience. So like if we want to make a space more accessible and make sure that the, there's like a wheelchair ramp into a building that doesn't inconvenience people who don't use mobility devices right but it means that mm-hmm. more people can get into the building mm-hmm. so that's what I think like in my mind I think of it's an access like an about access and accessibility and being welcoming to everyone mm-hmm. um, and that's something that people can do I would I mean I would say especially you should do it if you're not trans or non-binary because it's like um, it's like adding captions to images it's something simple you can do that will make life easier and more hospitable and welcoming to people who already will face a lot of inhospitality and rudeness and bullshit so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah well thank you both for sharing that I really do appreciate as I continue to learn again even introducing myself at the beginning when I go to meetings or events um, with she her pronouns just like making space and extending, like you said, that welcome and, and knowing that those pronouns really do tie to how we see ourselves and that it is really important, right? Those few seconds we say, and yeah, and that's one of the ways for me as a person of faith that I can really extend and love my neighbor 
to really mm-hmm. be able to use those words that will really make someone feel loved and welcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also just like a really good way to show someone that you respect them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, imagine totally. referring to someone by the wrong name, like constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> it's so ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and they kept trying to correct you. Yeah. 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 I yeah. totally feel that way because I, Trixie is like, you know, more unique name, I guess. And I hate it when people pronounce it wrong or, you know, often I have to correct them or sometimes I'm just so tired. I don't even correct them. So I feel that way. And I think this is really good to remind ourselves like, yeah, yeah that kind of feeling of like rejection too. Yeah. It's just like, it's such a simple way of saying to someone, I see you and I respect you and you like have human dignity. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to uphold that when I'm mm-hmm. around you. It's just, to me, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So hopefully it's a practice that will become more and more common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And also know that we do make mistakes. I know I've made mistakes. So just like be gracious to yourself and others. Like when you make mistakes, acknowledge it, apologize and learn and do better. Move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like if you referred to someone by the wrong name, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I meant this. Or like, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I made a mistake. I meant this. Like it's. I think we have cis people, we have a lot of like fragility around messing up around like our trans siblings or trans friends or like people we don't know. But like centering our feelings is not the response that (laughs) um, will help queer liberation or like non-binary and trans liberation. So we have to deal with that. (laughs) We have to deal with our feelings and, and just like practice, practice all the things that we might not be used to, like using they, them pronouns when someone uses those. Or like gender neutral language, all those different ways. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's talk a little bit more about where the gender binary shows up and kind of what it does. Mm-hmm. Because we have we've talked a little bit about the basic kind of definition in the sense of like the gender binary conceptualizes gender as the same thing as biological sex and that there are only two, male and female, or men and women, or boys mm-hmm. and girls. But we didn't really talk about like where does that come from and what does it do? So we'll get into that a little bit more. First, where where does it show up? Some other examples, if we want to talk about that. Church, obviously. Church, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which we won't go too much into because it's a really a big conversation. Yes. <laughs> let's just like throw some things out. Let's do like a rapid fire gender binary in churches scenario, like where we're just like throwing things out there that are. So like all of purity culture. Yeah, all of that <laughs> is based on the gender um, binary. Like books, evangelical books about biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, um, mm-hmm. which are connected to purity culture, of course. Gendered yeah. language in songs and in liturgies. Mm-hmm. Even like brothers the gen- and sisters. The gendering of God and the divine. Yes. Mm. Even like we could go like the debate of like women in leadership that ultimately is is also tied to the gender binary. Mm-hmm. What else? I think I'm also thinking of like youth group or youth events and youth trips where like boys and girls in quotes are separated or like youth sleepovers where they're not allowed to like be in the same spaces at night or like you need a certain number of quote unquote female supervisors and male supervisors yeah Yeah. so like youth Mm -hmm. youth at church is very gendered often yeah and it's Mm -hmm. very much connected to heteronormativity right so assuming everyone's straight yeah Mm. and being terrified of anything else oh yeah yeah. (laughs) and that too 
yeah <laughs> a lot going on but yeah so it, it shows up in a lot of places and I would say like maybe not to assume that it's always like super conservative churches that do this right like mm-hmm. progressive churches and kind of justice oriented churches are often also very binary in their language yep. and in how they approach gender yep mm-hmm. that's true mm-hmm. and I think it's also just like embedded everywhere right like in the practices in the traditions um the language the songs like it's just it's just also so everywhere that you almost like you can't you you don't know this in some way because it's just like and mm-hmm. it's so divided and I think for me that's where I feel like I learned a lot of that gender being just like only this or this this or this um from church because that's kind of what I hear all the time and so it's like you don't even question it because there's not even a space to question it <laughs> ultimately yeah and and it's so ingrained I find mm-hmm. like if we're talking about church spaces the gender binary is so ingrained in those spaces that sometimes like that deep integration is used as a reason to hold on to it. Where like, if someone questions the gender binary or is wanting to be more inclusive or affirming or expansive in the way that they worship or engage with the divine, often the the argument against that is, but the church has been doing it this way for 2000 years. Like it can't be wrong. Are you saying that like the tradition of the church is wrong because blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like this big, conversation when really like what needs to happen is people are like oh we're noticing this shift and like maybe we need to question the way things have been done before but that's not happening in every space <laughs> yeah that line of reasoning is just bonkers to me like I oh, know like, but it so wait slavery was fine like sanctioned by the church residential mm-hmm. schools were fine sanctioned by, like all of these were legal uh, yeah. and like the church endorsed and carried them out so I'm like yeah. uh <laughs> Mm-hmm. And not even, I think for me as I continue to learn, like not even having that space to even talk about like sexuality, like that is like, there's so much fear-based, fear-based kind of uh, language and practices that surround even this kind of topic that we, there's no, there's no space to even question it. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is the way it is, right? The status quo. Um, and again, it, it's, you know, tie into like, which I know we'll talk about white supremacy power, right? Who gets to dictate what it is? And I do think this is where it's so critical to be able to look at the breakdown of this and and why why the church you think should be at the forefront of like you know leading the work in justice and reconciliation um, and peace peace as in like I would say shalom the kind of making right relationship often it creates more hurt and perpetuate harm by its inability to be able to question and look at these yeah these things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, there's some amazing queer, trans, and non-binary like theologians, writers, people who are doing really rad work. And I think a lot of people, I mean, this is one of the good things about like queer Christian Twitter. Like a lot of people who are <laughs> who their takes and their interpretations and their narratives around around faith, around the Bible, around God, like are more it's easier to have those widespread now and and kind of ways that because the Bible is super queer and like so it's gone. So like people are kind of just exploring and investigating that and sharing that more um, in terms of these, yeah, the theologians and writers that mm-hmm. I admire. Probably the one that I, one of the first I encountered that really shifted a lot of what I thought about gender and God and queerness and all of those things was uh, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, who's a trans non-binary Latinx theologian and writer. So highly recommend their work. 
so yeah just there's always there are always people right like in the in the wheels of the machine kind of like doing building new worlds within the old yeah so maybe I'll, I'll take us into a bit more about like how gender relates to colonialism and white supremacy and maybe unpack a little bit more about how gender relates to like sexism and misogyny because I think I'm just thinking about conversations I've had with people where their first especially people who maybe are people of faith who maybe their first entry point to conversations around gender was about sexism and about like feminism and thinking about it in terms of like the oppression of women mm-hmm. maybe I'll say like this won't be extensive or anything but I'll say that like it's not helpful to think about oppression only through one lens or one axis of power. So anything mm-hmm. that's like, oh, like women are oppressed, the end. <laughs> like yeah. will never does not include, like does not fully then engage with like all the other ways that power works mm-hmm. and that oppression works. So yeah, I guess that's just like a challenge and an invitation to people. If if you're if you've only experienced thinking about oppression or power in one way, so for example, sexism, then that's not like you don't need to reject that entirely but like just thinking beyond this that one way because that doesn't include well that's not um an inclusive and expansive way to think about or all encompass like it doesn't encompass all the ways that people are marginalized and I think people are realizing this more with is this fourth wave feminism I forget what we're in now I think we're in fourth wave yeah <laughs> we, we looked this up the other day and we thought it was third wave but it's like no we're in no we're in the like fourth. what <laughs> But yeah, so now that we're in fourth wave feminism, like I think there is more um, questioning of a reductive way of thinking about mm-hmm. feminism and gender in the sense of like only thinking about the oppression of women, which reinforces the gender binary, right? If we only mm-hmm. think about that. And so it's something that maybe I'll just talk through this a little bit, if you please jump in. So I think we're often used to thinking about like when we think about the gender binary, they're not equal, right? So women and men have different associations and mm-hmm. women are lower like on this hierarchy women are lower right so in churches like women could not or sometimes still cannot preach or take on leadership roles are expected to or not even in churches sorry society and churches like are expected to be at home like all these kind of like yeah may- maybe it would be helpful to use like the term power instead of mm-hmm. like higher lower like Yes, I'm trying to unlearn the hierarchy language. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm using it purposely in the sense of, like, hierarchical power mm-hmm. works Yes. in that way. Yes, it um, does. But it's not an inherent, like, I don't want to, I want to unlearn the hierarchy in general in the sense that, like, one thing over the other doesn't mean it's better than. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, just to recap, like, in the ways that, that hierarchical power works, like, the gender binary holds men in quotes are superior to women in quotes yes so that's what I don't know like what was this first second wave like feminism was kind of talking about but for me it's been helpful to to think about well not only intersectionality right which is really important which is like how different kinds of oppression connect but also thinking about how moving away from thinking about yeah oppression in terms of like sexism as being like the oppression of women or feminism being about the empowerment of women as thinking about like masculinity and femininity and how those are valued so uh, let me explain a bit more Um, I was having this conversation with a friend so this is coming from that a little bit from the conversation we were having so uh, 
when we think about like masculinity and femininity and how those are presented in the world, it's not that like quote unquote men are always seen as superior to quote unquote women because often men and women will be treated quote unquote, I'm using quotes around all these words, the gendered words, men and women would be treated differently according to how they express their gender. So say someone who identifies as a man and was assigned male at birth and like wants to wear florals in pink or is like really in touch with his emotions, like these things that we traditionally would associate with femininity, that's seen as a sign of weakness, mm-hmm. right? So just thinking about how femininity is seen as weak and when people like regardless of people's gender identity. So a cis woman who expresses femininity would be subject to like sexism, misogyny, right? But like a trans woman experiences like the worst of misogyny because it's like a uh, not only being like feminine presenting, but like breaking this rule of the gender binary. Mm-hmm. Is this making any sense? I'm just talking through mm-hmm. some of these thoughts that I've had in conversation with others. So just mm-hmm. a way to like rethink a little bit of what like, um, oppression and gender and sexism will have to do with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're um, tracking. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> there's, yeah, it's you're saying they're intersecting. Yeah, they're into, they're not they're not just in its own category, right? And I think that's what you're saying. There's they intersect with each other. Okay, great. Yeah, so the gender binary is also is a form of oppression, and so is misogyny and sexism. They're not competing, right? <laughs> like they go together. <laughs> they work together, and that's why like cis women who present femininely. So I'll use myself as an example, like I'll get harassed or catcalled or whatever. A trans woman will be murdered. Like, and I'm not saying like, you know, that violence against cis women doesn't happen. It does mm-hmm. happen. But the overt and like vitriolic violence against trans women is like on another dimension, right? Because yeah. people's hatred and fear coming from that, that place that they've been socialized from, like, is that much more like dialed up, right? Mm-hmm. It's breaking so many more societal rules. Yep. And it's really terrible. Like, yep. <laughs> so when, and I mean, we're going to talk more about what does, what is turfism and like, what are, what does it mean? And what's the ideology behind that? But I think that's why, like, that's why it's so dangerous, right? If you only talk about the oppression of a, of a like woman and women only mean certain people, that dangerous and does so much harm and like, it literally is, kills people. Yeah, it's like responsible for <laughs> yeah. people's deaths. Like, yeah, all of this is like very, in a way, very day to day and how mm-hmm. we live and express our gender and talk about gender. But it's also like the stakes are really high, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was reading apparently 2021 was the deadliest year for trans women in like recorded history. Like, mm. more trans women died last year than has ever been recorded before. And like that just goes to show mm-hmm. how dangerous it is mm-hmm. um, to to break societal rules like that. And just, and like, it's not, hmm, what am I trying to say? Like, it's not about breaking the rules. It's about being yourself. And like, that is the part that is dangerous. Yeah. Um, like people, these trans women are not like, I'm out to flaunt yeah, society's norm. Yeah, like they're just exactly. who they are. <laughs> like, yeah. mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. That's a good, that's a good thing to mention. Thanks, Maria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just just to even like hear you know some of those numbers, it's like it's not just an issue. It's like you, ha- it's this is a real person, yeah. right? And the life of a real person at stake. And and I think that's really like any issues is really important to 
put a face to an issue. So it's not just like an issue doesn't, that's the privilege when it, you don't have to think about it. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to, you know, struggle with it. Whereas people, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Of someone who has to deal with this on a daily basis within the, the societal norm and social construct that we have created. And I think that's kind of systemically, this is why, as how do we respond to it? This is recognizing this is part of like, as we mentioned, white supremacy and colonialism. It really kills, literally. Yep. Yep. And this is why we have to be able to allyship, solidarity, to fight against it and starting with just recognizing it exists and the complexity and dissection of all of that and how we're part of it. And, And so part of being part of it is that we can't, not perpetuate this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so what do you think are some ways as we continue to think about like how how can we respond to this now that we have acknowledged it we learn it we see it everywhere what would be some way of how as allies as people in solidarity and how can we in our daily lives like do the work to learning but also really like practice it Uh, maybe before we do that I'm just going to take us back a little bit because we didn't really expand upon how colonialism is connected to the gender binary, which will link some pieces. I have some um, that I can put in the show notes that kind of go through this in more detail. But I think it's just important to note for like the purposes of our conversation that the gender binary is not just like like it's connect- it's a social construct that's part of how colonialism was perpetuated, mm-hmm. um, a big part, mm-hmm. and that there are so many different forms of gender diversity in various indigenous peoples like all over the world before mm-hmm. colonizers came. And so the gender binary was actually a tool of how colonizers removed, like stole and took away like land, identity, culture, agency, power yeah. from indigenous peoples. And so, I mean, because of so many reasons, <laughs> queer spaces or like, predominant trans or non-binary queers often tend to be white and like I mean this is again how things connect right so sometimes like there's not a lot of visibility you know for like black indigenous people of color Mm -hmm. um, who are non-binary trans but it's important to recognize that like (laughs) you know trans people have always existed and there have been many names for being trans and being gender diverse and that colonialism tried to eradicate that and that was a weapon that was used in mm-hmm. part of part of how um, genocide was carried out. So like, that is my response to when people are like, oh, but this is like very white to like, you know, LGBTQ stuff is like a white, like it's for white people or like, you know, it doesn't connect to my culture or my, the group of people that I'm in, you know? And I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'd also like to mention that like being trans and non-binary and then also not being white is exponentially more dangerous than being trans slash non-binary and being white mm-hmm. does that did that sentence make sense basically yeah, being yeah. a BIPOC trans person is really dangerous compared to being a bi- like a white trans person and like BIPOC trans and non-binary people experience a lot of grief and hatred and violence from trans and non-binary people who are white like yes it's a huge problem in the queer community where white queer folk, they, because they identify as queer in some way, think that 
like they they understand their level of marginalization is just as bad as everyone else's and that's simply not true or they yeah. use it as an excuse to not be a good ally in other in other ways in in other intersections mm-hmm. um, and that all goes back down to colonialism and white supremacy as well right like it mm-hmm. all is rooted in the same shit <laughs> the same shit like yeah. and I mean no identity gets you a free pass to no. be terrible to other people like that's no. not how it works mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah we and we are all these things are wider than like they they are evident in how we treat one another and the things that you mentioned Maria and also we're we're all complicit in the ways that these norms mm-hmm. are created and perpetuated mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. we have to notice and kind of pause and ask like what assumptions we're making no matter what no not no matter what like no like of all, all identities that people have these are questions that we can be better people like better neighbors better friends better allies better human beings yeah mm-hmm. and I should say non-human beings too because that's <laughs> another form of supremacy right but we can get into that we can get into that for another podcast <laughs> I, I was just gonna say like another binaries are a way that power works right so like often we have like human non-human as a binary that's mm-hmm. very colonial as well so that, that was why I said that but again don't want to open that there's so many so many yeah so on that note how can we be better allies going back to Trixie's question mm-hmm. from a few minutes ago I mean like we've already mentioned using gender neutral language getting used to using gender neutral pronouns not assuming pronouns based on how someone looks any others I think like as a non-binary person I've really appreciated when like cis people advocate for me like mm-hmm. um so in spaces if someone misgenders me it it feel it's um it's very affirming for someone else to do the correcting mm-hmm. <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes sense because it takes a lot of emotional like energy to constantly correct people and like sometimes you're up for it, sometimes you're not. And it's a real gift when other people are willing to do that work for you and alongside you. Mm-hmm. Any other suggestions? I think I mentioned this before because that's no, I definitely experience it a lot as I'm learning, like making mistakes. We will all make mistakes is how we respond to it, right? With humility, recognizing, acknowledging, apologizing, not centering on our own feel- feelings or fragility or lack of education mm-hmm. and putting that emotional labor. Um, on others I think that's really important and that's a constant practice that I think we all have to do so that for sure is something I'm I'm continuing to learn and that is part of also then be able to do that well enough so I can be a better advocate you know for you Maria and for for others in situation where I can actually like recognize there's something wrong (laughs) recognizing Mm -hmm. there's harm being said and people who are misgendered so um, yeah so that's definitely one way for sure um yeah those are also important I mean this is a bit more of like a not maybe like zooming out a little bit so not so much like a day-to-day practice and how we relate to like our friends neighbors strangers but I would say also like recognizing the importance of safe spaces for trans women and trans people and yeah maybe I'll just leave it at that but that's important Mm. um and that, that can be like as something as like noticing and if you have 
if you have the influence to do this or like the um, decision-making power to like have gender neutral bathrooms, like at a space or a meeting, yes. mm-hmm. you know, that's a super simple example. And then like to supporting, you know, like people, organizations, groups, shelters that are specifically for, specifically for and welcoming of trans women, um, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Can I like say one more note on ba- the bathroom situation? Yes, yeah. please do. <laughs> like I understand that like, what is even the word like buildings are already built and so there's already like physical bathroom structures that people are needing to work around a lot of the time but it is so much nicer to have a completely gender neutral washroom than it is to have gendered washrooms that have are are statedly like safe for gender diverse people does that make sense wait say that again so okay so sometimes (laughs) you'll walk into a space and it's like an old building and so there's like a men's washroom and a female washroom but then there's also a sign like you see this in community centers Mm -hmm. where there's like an extra thing where it says like gender diverse people welcome and like I've just got to say to all of you like city planners out there (laughs) whoever has like influence in this area that is a great step and it's not good enough (laughs) like we we actually just need completely gender neutral spaces and it makes no sense also yeah like why do people get their own like again it's like a a form of separating rather than including like just make all bathrooms gender neutral like yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) yeah I've seen this too and I'm always like wait what I don't know yeah it's I think it's it's honestly I think a lot of it is just like not being able to like like having to deal with the, the limitations of the infrastructure that you already have which like I understand and have grace for and also it sucks it's not good enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah or it could be just like really performative right oh yeah oh we done this checklist (laughs) check mark it's like we put up our little sign good enough yeah yeah Mm -hmm. this is where system change is so important which is you know a lot of the issues we've been talking about Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this relates to so many like we were talking about this in so many different realms or examples but like you can notice this and maybe this is like another kind of invitation for listeners like when if you've kind of learned to notice this like you can notice it wherever you go and like Mm -hmm. in your own workplace like your own you know neighborhood places that you like to go like you'll notice things or you'll Mm -hmm. notice when people use like gendered language that's on on the radio like on signage like it's literally everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah so trouble it. Yes. Be a troublemaker. Be yeah. a gender troublemaker. Hey, it's Aline again. I wanted to clarify some things I said in the conversation about violence against trans women and femmes. When I was exploring the notion of femininity being seen as weakness and the disproportionate violence against trans women, I talked about how violence against cis women is real and violence against trans women and femmes is on another level. I want to reiterate that I'm not positioning these two as competing in any way. Violence against women and femmes is all connected and part of how the heterosis patriarchy functions. That's why it's so important for cis women to advocate for our trans siblings when we talk about violence, harassment, and the need for safe spaces. I also didn't get the chance to expand on intersectionality and emphasize How other social factors like race and class always, always affect violence against women. So I, a cis Asian woman, might be harassed and fetishized in certain ways that white women do not experience. 
but other Asian women who are trans, poor, and or sex workers are at higher risk of patriarchal violence and its murderous logic, like we saw in the Atlanta massacre. And indigenous women and femmes, especially who are trans and two-spirit, deal with compounded violence because of, well, the patriarchal, white supremacist, colonial Canadian state and its bullshit. We see this with a missing and murdered Indigenous woman, and spelled out in all of the conversations around the National Inquiry, such as the Red Woman Rising report, which I can link in the show notes. It's important when talking about violence against trans women and femmes to communicate that trans women are not passive or helpless victims. Trans women of colour, Black and Indigenous trans women, have built and embodied visionary and revelatory worlds through grassroots organizing, politics, art, stories, fashion, and media. And above all, by being true to themselves and tending radical networks of care. It's like with any kind of oppression, those who are the most marginalized by systems and society have the most to show us about radical, imaginative, and liberating alternatives. When we pivot towards these places and people, everyone gets freer. Okay, I'm done with my sermon for today. Go in peace. Until next time. Resetting the Table is edited by Emma Renard. And intro music is by Senya and Paul Gibbs. If you like this podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash resetting the table. We think it's really important to amplify voices of color, and we hope you do too. Even a little bit helps us sustain the podcast. Big thanks to everyone who's already been part of the Patreon community. We love you and we appreciate your support. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash resetting the table or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find the show. You can also find us on Instagram at re.settingthetable. Now, Thanks, and see you soon.